Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Levels of Wealth. I've got a guest here that is going to blow your minds. Um, if you're watching the video, you got to start paying attention to uh, to the difference between being wealthy and looking wealthy. Because you got a guy in front of you right now, sort of hat, <laughs> like t-shirt. And dude has like half a billion dollars in real estate almost. And he, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't know. Um, Tim Bratz is uh, the CEO and founder of Legacy Wealth Holdings. It's a real estate investment company. They acquire and transform distressed assets. Uh, 4,500 plus units with a valuation of 400 million plus. It's probably way higher than that now with uh, the last 18 to 24 months. Um, and he's built a passive business, create a residual income. I mean, when you study passive wealth building, real estate investment, um, there's like three or four names that, that pop up continuously. Tim, you're one of those names. Everybody knows who you are. Uh, it, it looks like from the outside in, you're just kind of like a freak of nature. Like you went from zero to $400 million in real estate in 10 days, but that's never how it works. So I'm excited to break it down and dive in. Thanks for hopping on the show. Yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me. It's always an honor to hang out with you and uh, got a ton of respect for what you got going on, man. So thanks for, thanks for the invite. I got you, man. And dude, that was a good intro, wasn't it? It was smooth. Right? That was really smooth. Articulate. That was good. Hey. Come on, man. So hey, you're I, would, I wouldn't even know that you've never practiced it before. Hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like a, just memorized your bio before. No, I'm just kidding. Um, man, tell me first and foremost, you bought an island. That's every real estate investor's freaking dream yeah. to buy an island. Well, tell me yeah. about that deal. How did it happen? Oh, you're just posting pictures online. It's beautiful, by the way. Yeah, thank you. It's um, it, it's really cool. It's a really special piece of property, and it's an inland island, so it's not like out in the middle of the ocean or something. It's uh, uh there's a lot of islands along the the coast of the Carolinas, and this is one. It's actually right next to Hilton Head Island. Um, it's 110 acres of uplands, which is like above sea level, buildable, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And then there's another 350 acres of marshlands around it that we own. So it's 460 some acres total, and um, dude, it's it's 15 minutes of downtown Beaufort. It's 25 minutes of downtown Hilton Head. Uh, you got to take a boat in order to get to and from it. But uh, it, it, it's, it's all kind of, if you backtrack a little bit, um, dude, it's wild, right? Like you, when I was in my early 20s, I wrote down all these goals and all these ambitions and I wanted an island and I wanted a brownstone in New York and I wanted a mountain house and I wanted a beach house and all this other stuff. And I bought a beach house in 2019. It's where I'm at right now. I live in Charleston, South Carolina now. And then uh, started trying to chip away at some of these other uh, like bucket list items. And so I found this house up in uh, Western North Carolina. Just I was looking for a mountain cabin. And I found this ridiculous property that popped up. And uh, I was able to negotiate seller financing on it. And I was like, man, I'm not as liquid as I want because it was a lot more house than I expected. Um, I was like, what if I syndicate this the same way that I syndicate my apartments? So what I ended up doing was... Um, uh, I got 80% seller financing. I raised 20% down from the investors plus a little bit more for uh, some renovation funds. And I paid a 4% preferred return. That was it. And, uh, and then I gave them a little piece of equity, each investor. And then, um, and then I gave them a free week at the property, which this thing rents for $2,700 a night. So it's like a fifteen dollars to $20,000 a week type rental. So if you add in the value of what that gives you on a weekly basis, along with the PREF payment, you're like, all right, well, hey, there's like 15, 20% uh, like, like value return on my investment if I bring $100,000 to this deal. And so I, I brought that to my, to my investors. And dude, I, had, I only had eight spots available at $100,000 a piece. And I had 24 people who wanted in on it. I was like, damn, I think I'm onto something. So I started looking for another property. And I always wanted like a big plantation home with a bunch of land. So I was looking for 100-acre parcels in... Uh, you know, kind of Georgia, coastal Georgia, coastal South Carolina. 
and um, came across this 100 plus acres and I didn't have an address and it was a friggin' island. And so I was like, and, and dude, it's not as expensive as you thought. It's, it's 2.5 million is what I bought it for. Wow. Um, so I bought the whole thing for 2.5, already had a dock on it, already had a house on it, had a generator on it, needed to be updated. Uh, we put a lot of work into it, but um, we're essentially, you know, I, I try to find ways of how do I turn a liability into an asset, right? I, I had money and I've been broke. And uh, the reason I went broke is because I spent a bunch of money on shit that I didn't need and I couldn't cash flow because um, I didn't have enough assets at the time and I, didn't have, I wasn't making enough income, right? And I, and I didn't try to figure out a way to turn those liabilities into an asset. So, um, you know, there's, there's essentially three ways to pay for your toys. One is you just make more money and allocate a certain amount of your money to your toys and your vacations and your cars and all that stuff and your trips. Two is the Robert Kiyosaki way, which is you buy assets or you buy, yeah, I'm sorry, you buy cash flowing assets and then you use the cash flow from those assets to pay for the payments on your liabilities, right? So you buy a house, makes $400 a month, it pays for your car payment, right? And, uh, and you do it that way. The third way that I found that, that you can pay for your toys is to turn them into assets. So a lot of people you see doing it on second homes with Airbnb. A lot of people you see doing it with a, uh, a play car on Turo. Um, so you can do that. And, and I took a look at this island. I was like, I've always wanted an island. How do I cash flow this thing? And I think the, the best use for what it is and, and how beautiful and how natural and, and it's got this, this preservation type feel to it um, is to do like a, like a glamping outdoor type of a setup. So we're going to build tiny cabins, like 200 square foot cabins. We're going to build about 40 of them out there. And um, I got this big barn that we're building out. It's going to be like kind of a gathering area, which picnic tables, fire pit, and, um, you know, cornhole and, and bocce ball and horseshoes and all this other stuff. We're going to have bikes that go up and down the island. I'm going to install like a workout. You ever been to like one of the parks where they have like the dip bars, and then you run another tenth of a mile, they have pull out bars, and then another run. Oh, yeah. And so uh, we're doing that on the island. And so it's, it's going to be a cool way. We're going to have dude, like youth groups, church groups, uh, workout groups, yoga retreats, uh, outdoorsy, learn how to build a fire with your bare hands kind of crazy shit. Um, fishing retreats, like anything you could possibly think of. It's a really, really cool environment for that. So um, it doesn't cost that much to build it all out. And I think it's going to cash flow uh, like crazy. So I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a little bit more of a project than I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, man, the, the glamping type of uh projects, they seem like they're getting more and more popular. We're, you know, I'm in Nashville. If you go east, you hit Knoxville, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge. Mm-hmm. And then we have a whole slew of vacation properties in Branson. Branson, Missouri is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite markets in the country right now for uh, nightly rentals. But I've, I've noticed that the little dome things that they're building just like next to a lake probably cost like, what, 30 grand? And they're charging you know, a couple hundred bucks a night for them. Yeah. I'm like, yo, forget cabins. Like, let me just go buy some tents and throw them out next to a lake. <laughs> yeah. This seems to be working. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, dude, those things are not as expensive as you think. You know, it's more furnishing them. Um, uh, you know, like down here, we have a little bit more humidity and it gets beat up by the salty air and that, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you got to play around with it a little bit of what, what's the long-term maintenance. But um Dude, you, you see it all over the place. Like they're they're building these little tents on the side of hills up in you know Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee, and and they're getting four, five, eight hundred dollars a night for these things. It's amazing. Crazy. It's crazy, bro. Question: this Is what you're talking about is uh, a lot of deal structure? I think people they completely they think that real estate investing is one thing when actually any investing in most cases is deal structure collateralization. If your, your down payment terms, your, your leverage terms. When's, uh, when did you learn that? Was that a thing you learned early on in your career? Did you have to get kind of bit a few times to learn deal structure? Did you avoid that? Yeah, great question. I think, um, I think it's a really good question. It's not one that I usually get. And I think, uh, you know, going back, when I got started in real estate, I was kind of like in the trades. I had a painting company. I interned for a um, a big home builder, and then I got a real estate license. And I decided to start investing in like 2008, 2009. And then the market collapsed. And everyone is running out 
from real, like they do, don't buy real estate, stay away from real estate. And even the people who were in real estate and understood that it was like still a good investment, uh, they were leery of lending money or doing anything. And, and especially with some punk ass 23 year old kid who'd never done a deal before, right? Nobody's going to invest with me. And so I, I was forced just based on market circumstances on how to creatively structure deals, how to raise private money instead of going to a bank, how to get obtain seller financing and structure it in a way with my private money where I didn't have to come out of pocket with any money because I didn't really have any back then. But I was able to walk away from these deals with seller financing along with a private investor putting up the down payment and giving me some operating capital. And I'd walk away from a closing on a $50,000 house with six or seven grand in my pocket and a cash flowing asset, right? And I'm like, Dude, how, it's, it's not that hard, right? Every single run from real estate, I don't know what I'm doing that much. And I, I am making money here. I was like, there's something to this. So it was more of a circumstance. It's been very easy to make, to like gain access to capital over the past three, four, five years. And so I think a lot of people haven't uh, needed to go and learn creative finance. And now that the market's super hot, you either need it when the market's really bad or when it's really hot, like it is right now. And, um, and so that's what we're doing. So we're doing a little bit more, hey, seller, I can't pay you your price unless I give, like you give me some sort of terms. So let me pay your price. I'll pay you a premium. But guess what? You're going to get, you know, 3% seller financing on a 10-year balloon. And, uh, and I can do it if you agree to that. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And so that's how you can get into more deals if you understand the economics of, of hey, here's how much it cash flows. Here's what the return on investment is. And as long as you're, you know, your cap rate or is your unleveraged yield. So if you buy a $10 million building and you want, a, you know, a 6% cap rate on it, that means it yields $600,000 in, in net operating income per year, right? So if you can figure out a way to keep your debt service below $600,000 a year, then you know how to cash flow that asset, right? And between, uh, you know, property appreciation, principal pay down, and, um, you know, and then obviously all the benefits of depreciation and, and all, everything else uh, that come with it, it can make sense to do that deal. Love it. Beautiful answer. How much, um, how much risk adjustment do you do in your underwriting? Uh, do you discount the rate of return based on risk adjustment or do you kind of leave all that alone? Yes. So we, um, we stress test it in many different ways, right? Like when I'm underwriting one of my apartment complexes, if we can get, you know, somewhere between 900 to $1,000 a month in rent, we're going to underwrite it in that nine, nine and a quarter range, right? If we can get 975 or 1,000, dude, that's icing on, on the cake, right? And so we'll stress test it there. We'll stress test it with loan to values. So a lot of my method has been like the Burr method just with apartments. So I'd buy, renovate, rent, refinance an apartment complex. And, and usually I can get 75, 80% loan to value on these loans when I go and have a stabilized, fully renovated, beautiful building. Um, and now we're underwriting it at like a 70% loan to value, right? Because we're assuming that banks are going to tighten up and lending's going to, uh, LTV is going to drop. Interest rates are obviously going up. I might be able to get a 4%, four and a quarter percent interest rate today. I'm expecting it to be at five, five and a half percent in 18 to 24 months whenever I go to refinance something, if I'm going to do that type of a deal. Really, I'm trying to stay away from variable rates right now. I'd rather put a fixed rate in place with a prepayment penalty. And then, uh, um, you know, as interest rates go up, your prepayment penalty actually comes down because the lender can take their money out and throw it in a bond right. or a treasury and make just as much money, if not more money. So if you throw fixed rate, fixed rate debt on your properties right now, either it'll be more attractive for people to assume it in the future as rates increase, or your prepayment penalty will essentially go away because because typically it's based on um uh, uh you know the lender's expectation of how much they can make over the course of the long term and if it's stuck in your deal that means rates rise they could throw, throw a treasury or, or a bond somewhere and make uh, just as much if not more money so it actually uh can eliminate your prepay penalty so you know it's it's understanding those things and then and then again deal structuring you know creatively structuring it or understanding what the different variables are in the, in the financing side. Love it. Um, how much are you like personally cross collateralizing? Are you PGing a lot? I know with apartments, a lot of them are non-recourse to my understanding, a little bit different on the single family and even some of the, um, 
the, the nightly rentals, there are certain developments that will actually go in in PG. When, do you do any PGs? Are you doing this on your, yeah. on your island or how do you think yeah, about that? Typically on the construction loans, we have to personally guarantee that um, and any sort of like bridge loans, any sort of short-term bridge loans, I have to personally guarantee it. But um, once it's stabilized and we go to refinance it with, you know, agency debt, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, CMBS, or life insurance companies, they're willing to give you a non-recourse loan. Obviously, you'd want more non-recourse loans because as your net worth grows, you want like that, that safety net to grow with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as soon as we can refinance into long-term debt in a fixed rate, um, uh, that's not recourse. I want to do that, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not that concerned. We actually, we, we buy at a very low basis. We know exactly how much sweat equity needs to go in in order to force the appreciation on these properties. We never speculate. We always buy for cash flow. Um, that's kind of like a, the minimum barrier to us doing a deal. If, it, if we can't figure out a way to cash flow it and at least break even, then usually we won't, we won't do that deal. It's too speculative. It's all about the deal. It's all about the deal. I think that's uh, that's sometimes, you know, it's it's interesting when I living in Nashville, we have uh, fourteen high like condo high rises that we're building, um, and it's amazing to see investors. The reason I avoided Nashville for so long is because when I looked at the market, I'm like, everything's speculative. These houses are not worth this much money. Zero chance. Like. But then when you get into the nightly rental game, it starts like messing with your view of because the like brand new, brand new bills are like a 16 cap, dude. And I'm just like, yo, is that fake? Is this a scam? Like what's going on? It's just like, man, people are desperate to get out. And it's like, now we have 24, 36 months of historical uh, rental income data. It's wild. You got to break into like just mass nightly rental development. Yep. I feel like it's what's next. If you guys don't have um, you know, deal flow coming to you on that side of the market, we should do some deals together. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it's me crazy. Closer, we're we're yeah. you know, we, we heavily invest in apartments, like 90% of my portfolio is apartments. We do with some short-term rental stuff and a few um storage facilities. But usually, dude, I just I just use the influence that I have on social media, raise yep. capital, my team then goes and deploys it with great operators in these other asset classes and that we just kind of asset manage and capital manage. Let's talk about that real fast. Cause um, one of the things that's consistent among the greats like yourself is they, they consistently talk about the operation, great operators, like a good deal has to be well managed and well operated, or it's not going to print cash flow. Mm-hmm. How do you find these operators or can they not be found? Do you train them? You yeah, just have to create them. It's a good question. Well, I think, you know, not a lot of people talk about it because it's not sexy. You know what's sexy? Right. Sexy is like finding deals. Sexy is raising yeah. money. It's yeah. not sexy to deal with the nonsense and the day-to-day just getting kicked in the groin of uh, of operations, right? It's a it's an unsexy part of the business. But that's how not how you take deals down. That's how you keep deals, right? Like there's been a lot of people who took deals down who have no idea how to operate. I think that's going to be, a, I think that's going to be a bit a greater impact on the market than interest rates are going to be. You know, I think there's a lot of new people who have gotten involved who just want to be the next jump onto another deal, graze the door count and not really focus on operations. So I mean, dude, it's, it's happened with me. Like I've brought money to other people's deals and they, they you know, it was like my business model in theory is a great uh, uh, model because I have all these students out there that I teach how to go out and do this. And then they bring their deals to me. I bring money. I sign on the loan. My team kind of coaches and mentors. And then they are boots on the ground. They are the project manager. They are the ones who are handling all the day-to-day aspects. And so it gets me into deals that I couldn't get into. It gets them into deals that they couldn't have gotten into. And all of a sudden, we all make more money. Well, until they say, hey, uh, watch this. If I don't do the work, Bratz's team is just going to just step in and do it, right? Like, and that's happened over and over and over again because they just want to post about it on social media and then not actually do the follow through. So, um, dude, it, 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 in my world, like if somebody doesn't own 500 to 1,000 doors, I'm typically not partnering with them. I will buy a deal from them or I will kick them some equity in the deal like uh, in exchange of like, instead of getting a wholesale fee, I'd kick them some, like a little piece of equity in the deal instead, and then they can be along for the ride. But if they're not willing to dedicate 100% of their time to seeing this project through, um, we just don't do it. So uh, yeah. I, we were talking a little bit offline is like, 
I'm, I'm clearing out a little bit of my portfolio, selling some things, some uh, things that are heavy management intensive. Some of those include those, you know, not bad partnerships, but just uh, kind of absentee partners, you know, where I just don't want to deal with that. I don't want that on my team any longer. So we're hiring a few more, building out the, the uh, our interior, like our, our, um, our team inside. Totally. How do you structure that, that equity when you kick somebody the equity? Is it just you give them a piece of the GP or something different? Yeah, yeah. just kick them a piece of the GP. Um, you know, it depends on a lot of different variables. Like how good of a deal is it? You know, is it a base hit or is it a home run? Yeah, I, obviously, a home run's worth more equity to me. Um, how much due diligence do they do? Did they forward an email and ask for a 3% fee or did they actually contract the yeah. property, underwrite the property, put up earnest money, get a scope of work in place, get contractor bids? Um, did they do any of that, right? And there's typically it's somewhere in between. Um, but yeah, we, I, mean, I mean, we've given up to 10% equity on the GP side. Um, of total equity in the deal, not just the GP portion, um, of to- for people who brought us great deals and um, as little as a 1% fee as well of saying, hey, brought us a $10 million deal, here's 100 grand, or here's what that 100 grand would be worth in equity. It might be worth one or two points of equity in the project, and um, it will pay them that way. Love it. Um, switching gears for a second, um, you're the guy who put me on to uh, the men who built America. Yes. So you watch it every year. And uh, I forget when I started following you on Facebook. It was probably a couple of years ago. I was like, what? This guy's taking off a week. But you take it, I think the week before New Year's, the week after Christmas. Yep. And you watch the show. And I started watching the show. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, man, I'm so broke. I am so broke. (laughs) You're like, like, oh man, I got these big ambitions. Then you watch that. and You're like, I need a monopoly. That's really what I need. Yes, I'm going to build an empire now. Um, yeah. How how important? I let me. I'm going to skip that question because I know the answer. The question was going to be how important is mindset to success, but it's not even a question. It's a statement. It's the everything. How much work do you do to tend to your own mindset? Do you find yourself like ever weak, or are you sharp all the time? Do you have routines that keep you strong, or are you just a natural? Oh man, no. It's 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 a muscle. You got to work right. And um, I actually have a really bad temper. Uh, my dad wouldn't take me golfing when I was in high school because I'd like throw clubs and I'd, I'd get so upset after wow. a bad shot. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so um, uh, I had a really, really short temper and a very competitive, I, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the brother who turns off the, the, um, the Nintendo, right? If I'm losing at Tecmo <laughs> Super Bowl at the end, like right before my, yeah. brother, my other brother went. And so uh, uh, that's, that's how I was growing up. I was super, super... Um, uh, I don't know, is that emotionally weak or just like very temperamental? And, uh, you know, it's, it's a muscle you have to exercise. And uh, I got into like network marketing, dude, when I was in, when I was, I don't know, 23 years old or something. And, um, I made no money in it, but I got a ton of unbelievable mindset growth. And that's when I got introduced to Tony Robbins and got introduced to Jim Rohn and, um, all these, all these personal development titans and just rock solid mindsets. And I started, and, I, and it was like, dude, I learned more from listening to CDs in my car and listening to audiobooks and reading these personal development philosophy type, you know, think and grow rich, how to win friends and influence people, magic of thinking big, the richest man in Babylon, the power of positive thinking, books like those um, completely transformed my mindset. I remember talking to somebody and uh, they're like, oh, you're going to, you're getting, I don't know, everybody's talking about getting their master's degree after college and this and that. And um, I was, I was like, nah, hey, I read this book and this book and this book. And, and some, some older gentleman who's got a ton of clout uh, came up. He's like, dude, you're getting your own master's degree. Like that is going to be more powerful than what all these other people are going to learn the tactical stuff. This is really where it's all at. And that laid a very good foundation for me of understanding entrepreneurship, understanding business by looking at it from that network marketing side of things and then, and then taking it and, and conveying it into, into real estate and taking those principles in, in a product that didn't work before. And then by, by taking those philosophies though and implementing it into real estate, that is, has really helped me out. I still use a lot of those stories and thought processes and, and, um, and philosophies today. And I shared a lot on, on social media. I just you know use real estate as the product instead. Yeah, I love it. Your social media is fire. I love watching uh, watching your posts. 
there's a few people, there's a few, there's a few of you guys because, you know, I'm like prolific on social media. I post yeah. all the time. I'm constantly yeah. on there. And uh, there's probably five or six people that I'm just like, I've got you on uh, notifications because when you post, there is an energy to what you're saying. Like there's an energy to Jim Rohn and, uh, you know, that. Zig Ziglar and like some, mm-hmm. you, you probably notice the same thing in your life where like sometimes you'll read something and people don't, people don't pay attention. It changes the components of your like biology when you read positive material versus mm-hmm. when you're following politics or some of this stuff, bullshit that yeah. people pay attention to. My wife came home one time with a big box of things. This was like 2014. This is pre-entrepreneur Taylor Welch. And uh, I opened it. I'm like, what is this? And she had signed up for a network marketing uh, company. And I was like, isn't this like people go to jail for this? Like, are you, isn't network marketing <laughs> bad? Yeah. Exactly. But man, I, I went through this book. It was called uh, The Slight Edge by a guy named Jeff Olson. So good. Bro, it changed my entire life. And then I'm like, okay, well, what else is out there? And you know, what, it's, what you're saying is powerful because... Uh, sometimes it's not the thing that you were destined to do. It's the thing that you're chasing on the way to the thing that you're destined to do. And like people, mm-hmm. people just need to okay. move. They just need to go after something. It doesn't have to be the final thing. It just means it needs to be the thing that gets you out of, you know, whatever stage you're in in life. So thank you for the commitment you make to uh, social media because you don't just do it for business. You do it for impact. You can tell. Mm-hmm. Big time. You know? Big time. So yeah. huge. What's the... When's the last moment you felt regret? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, it's usually when I'm impatient with my kids, right? So still mm-hmm. working on that, on that patient piece, patience piece. Um, that's, that's one of the things I always catch myself. Like, man, I just need to be more patient. Like, why, why am I? There's no really need to yell. There's no need to, like, get upset about it. Like, they're kids, right? My kid's four and my daughter's turned seven. So um, that's, that's probably the biggest regret i don't have a lot of regrets though yeah so your daughter is seven mm-hmm. gotcha so i have one daughter she's three uh no son yet but we're working on it and man i feel you on the on the patience thing because yeah uh, it's it's always something that you notice a couple days after where it's like mm-hmm. man i didn't handle that the right way mm-hmm. do you have any like do you have any systems to be present with your kids date date nights or breakfast or like, what's your system to make sure that you're there for their most formidable years? Yeah, man. I, I think uh, what really opened up my eyes to it was like when my daughter went to kindergarten and she wasn't around all day, every day anymore, you know? So you're like, oh man, I guess my time is limited. Um, I, I, I wrote it down. It's like in my goal is to do a date night with each one of my kids every month. But I just, I, I haven't been able to like structure it like that. And I don't know why I don't, right? Like, we time block for a podcast, we time block for an appointment, we time block for a phone call um, and for work items, but we don't do that for our personal life, you know? So I think yeah. I, I could definitely be better at that. I used to do it a lot. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've moved my office. Like I, I work inside my house. My wife's right over there right now, you know? So it's nice. like, it's a, it's all a little bit more convoluted and stuff. So um, it would be a lot better if I had, uh, just an office where you just turn it off. I, I really, if I am home in the evening, like last night, I got back and I took the phone and I just put it away. Didn't didn't look at messages from whatever it was, four o'clock, I think on, or after a workout, five o'clock on. Um, then I didn't look at my phone again until after the kids went to bed. And it was like nine, 10 or 10, 11 o'clock at night. So um, I try to just throw the phone in a different room, right? If you see it beep, you're going to go over to it. If you hear a buzz, you're going to go over to it. You just put it in a different room where you cannot see it or hear it at all. Um, you know, I think it's important that entrepreneurs uh, kind of batch their activities, right? Like I do all my podcasts usually in one day if I can, or um, I go and film content once a week with my videographer and try to hammer it all out in one day. And um, I think it's... Uh, but if I'm, in, if, I'm, if I'm there, I'm in the zone. If I'm working, I need to be in the zone. And I can't have distractions from anything else while I'm there, right? When I'm working out, I'm not looking at my phone. My phone stays in the car and I just focus on my health. If I am with my family, I try to keep the phone away where I'm, it's, I'm 100% present with the family. And if I'm working, I need to be 100% focused on, on work stuff. And so um, that's, that's kind of how I, how I try to just batch all that stuff. Yeah, 
on that note, what's what would you say is your kind of split of different zones? Like you've got the operation stuff, you've got the marketing stuff. Like this is probably classified as is maybe marketing or or yeah. you know the front end side. You've got the back end stuff. What what would you say are the different modes that you get in, and what's the split of your time? Yeah, man. I, I think once you get to a point, so so let me back up. I heard early on um, uh, Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, he owns Quicken Loans. Uh, he was he was being interviewed once, and they asked him like, "Hey, where do you spend your time?" And he goes, yeah, early on in business, you need to really focus on like the revenue generating activities. What are the couple, and there's really only a few, right? In real estate, it's finding deals, raising money, operations, right? Like if you're not doing those things, you're not doing real estate. Um, and so in every, every business, there's really only a handful of revenue generating activities that move the needle. And those are very quantifiable things that you could focus on. Uh, once you get to a point though, where you have other people focusing on that. You have other, you have a built out a team and you have a COO and you have a director of acquisitions and I have a you know chief investment officer. And now I have like high level managers reporting to them too. Um, I'm not needed for anything on the day to day. So I remember him saying, he was like, yeah, now I focus on things that are not really quantifiable, right? Like being on a podcast, doing an interview isn't really quantifiable, but you and I, are going to do more deals together because we just got some FaceTime. And then I get exposure to your audience. You're going to get exposure to my audience when I share this. And all of a sudden, you can't really quantify what can come from that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a, a different dichotomy as we're so focused on these, on these metrics and pursuing the metrics. And then all of a sudden, it's not. I think as CEOs, we got to be the ones out you know, building the brand, selling our company. I don't think there's anything better that anybody can be doing uh, than building their own personal brand. I think that transcends any business, transcends any aspect of any 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 element that you could be doing in your business. Um, you write a book because you have a personal brand, you're already successful, right? You're flipping real estate because you have a personal brand, you can raise more money. Because you have a personal brand, you can go and flip a business. Because you have a personal brand, you can raise money for that business. Dude, I know nothing about crypto, but I talk about, it a little bit in my own personal investment. Like I got, I don't know, a little over half a million bucks into it. And, um, and people are like, dude, put a fund together because I want to invest with you in your fund. All because I have a personal brand, right? Yeah. I don't, even though I don't know anything really about that, um, I have people knocking down my door saying, hey, if you, if you open up a fund, Tim, I'm in for $100,000. i am in for $350,000. Like, all because you have a personal brand. So like, I think, and it's so easy to do with social media. Like it's free to have an Instagram account. It's free to have 5,000 friends on Facebook. It's free to open up a TikTok account, right? All you have to do is just document stuff you're already doing, right? It's not even like sitting down and creating content. It's why HGTV exists. That's stuff that people are already doing. They're just documenting their day-to-day life. You see Brad Lee, he doesn't sit down and create content. He just gets like recorded while he's talking on business phone calls and talking to somebody over a cigar, over a whiskey or um, just hanging out in person, you know? So like he is the content, like you are the content. I am the content, just document it. And, and you'll attract people who are attracted to that stuff. People, people overestimate the amount of followers they think they need to be effective. hundred percent. So they don't even start, you know, Bro, bro. I like, I, I, you can have a very successful seven figure business with a thousand good tribe yeah. members, right? If you have 10,000, yeah. dude, you can accomplish anything like multiple eight figure. Like that's, I never really had a huge following. Um, I had a following of, you know, five to 15,000 on Facebook and, and Instagram. And I built mul- multiple nine figures worth of real estate. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. But it, that's, I mean, not, that's not a testament to me. That's a testament to building a personal brand of just, yeah. of just, and, and like, guess what? Uh, Gabrielle can, can attract different people than I can attract, right? Like she's yeah. going to attract somebody who's much more like uh, some female contingent that, that is going to look like at, at some white male and be like, yeah, another white rich guy. Right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. like there's, there's people in the mastermind and the legacy family, which you're, you're in, um, that, that like. This, I'm thinking Ruby Tinoco, right? Ruby Tinoco is this firecracker, little Hispanic girl, uh, actually lives in Charleston. And dude, there's people that are like, would fall on a sword for Ruby 
because they're Hispanic or they're females or they just, there's, there's this, you attract people who are like you. I was just on um, another podcast with, with someone who uh, um, is a firefighter. He's got this big firefighter contingent who, who he attracts, but wouldn't be attracted to me because they don't have anything to align with, with me. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you, you are your own personal brand. You don't have to be Gary Vee and go and cuss nonstop and, and, and yeah. be in your face or be an asshole like Grant Cardone can be sometimes or like something else. Just be you. Like be, yeah. be exactly who you are and you're going to attract good quality people who resonate with your values and uh, your belief system and you're just going to f- see your newsfeed filled up with a bunch, bunch of amazing people. 100%. And if, if people listen to this and they're like, well, Five to fifteen thousand followers is still a lot. I only have two hundred. Make make the, those two hundred followers the luckiest followers on the internet because of the amount of access and information and education that mm-hmm. they get. And if you do that, then that two hundred turns into ten thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, before long. Speaking I, of I, followers, I mean, it's, it's go free ahead. to have it's free to have five thousand friends on Facebook. So right. you can go yeah. out. And friend up, like, who do you want on your Facebook? I don't know. I want entrepreneurs. I want real estate professionals. I want, right. uh, I don't know, e-commerce or uh, crypto investors or whoever. Like, whoever your avatar is of who you want to hang out with, who you want to do business with, who you want in your ecosystem, be uh, uh, diligent about going out and friending those people up. Send them a friend request. They accept. And all of a sudden, now they're seeing your posts, you know? So that's yeah. easy to do. And then you can move those people over to Instagram and TikTok and all the others as well. Do you have a Twitter account? Uh, I don't. Well, actually, I do, but I've never, I don't think I've ever posted on it. Um, but I, I should. And I, I don't know why well, I don't. Dude, I just, yeah. You're going to have to now because it's owned by the greatest entrepreneur alive. I know, right? At the moment. You have I thoughts know. on that deal or, or what do you think? You know, the first thing, um, it's, it's just brilliant, dude. Like, like you, you watch Men Who Built America and you see these guys like just doing shit that people never thought about before. And it almost comes, it's like that could never work today. Like you couldn't dilute stock that way. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Like yeah. people would totally see that coming. This dude rolls in, in, in 2022 and buys 10% of, of Twitter just in stock, right? Just yeah. buys it and stop. And then he makes a move and publicly announces, if you don't accept my offer, I'm going to sandbag this entire stock Dude. and you're all going to go bankrupt. Dude, yes. it is, it's modern day men who built America. It's genius. It's just so brilliant. And, um, and at the same time, like he was a good guy about it. Like he could have totally offered way less money and gotten away with it. And he was like, listen, I'm going to offer you 5%, whatever it was, 5% more than it was the day before it became public knowledge or whatever, um, that he was the one who bought all that stock. And then the stock jumped up 30% or whatever. He's like, I'm not paying it because I brought that value, not you. And um, I'm not paying for the value that I brought. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you a premium of what I bought in at. And, um, and if you're willing to pay that, then I won't, I won't, you know, dilute or whatever it was going to do. So, um, dude, I think it's brilliant. I think it's so... So Elon, Elon's figured out how to leverage the court of public opinion as a, almost like an asset. Mm-hmm. Whereas most entrepreneurs okay. are, have gotten trapped by it. He's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to run a poll real fast. And it's like, this isn't, we haven't made it illegal yet. Which hopefully we don't. But he's in there before the SEC can really even figure out what to do with it. Because you can't delegitimize it. You know, like you can't. Yeah. Something you can do, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's that's. Um, I mean, I mean, what didn't didn't Tesla Tesla bought like a billion dollars worth of worth of Bitcoin or something, and then it yeah. jumped up, and then he sold all of it, and then it fell back down. So, like, I I understand why some people, but like, dude, I don't know. You if you want to follow him, you follow him. If you don't, now that sure. you've seen that happen a couple times, now you know what that play looks like, and sure. it's like buyer beware, dude. It's it's you know it's not the economy's fault or it's not an individual's fault. It, that they go broke because the economy is like, dude, they should have diversified. They should have understood. They should have gotten ed- educated on uh, financial investments and stuff. And um, uh, dude, I, now you know that, right? Like you and I know that if a celebrity jumps into something and promotes it, there's a big you know, jump in the value. And then it usually comes back down. Buy when it comes back down, right? Don't buy at the peak. 
Yeah, 100%. Do you, do you ever leverage celebrity investors in any of your syndications or funds? No, I haven't. Um, I've had some celebrity speakers at a couple... Like I had Emmett Smith come out to one of my events. I had um, Steve Forbes come out. But that's more just uh, good value, good content. I don't know. I maybe get some eyeballs and stuff on me and uh, things like that. But Steve Forbes was like, dude, he did a great job. you know. And he's like you know, the CEO of Forbes magazine, Forbes Media, and uh, had some really, really Man. good insights. When are you getting Donald Trump at your next event? Oh man, I don't, I don't even know what he would cost, man. He's like, he was a million dollars for an hour speaking engagement friggin' like 20 years ago. I don't wow. even know what he would be today. This ass Cardone. I saw yeah. that and I was like, wow, going all out. Yeah, he's got, he's got, um, yeah, I think, I think Trump's looking for some, some more, you know, positive media and eyeballs and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, He's also in West Palm right there, which is like right where Cardone's event and stuff was. So that's kind of an easy, easy, you know, hop over in the helicopter and speak for an hour kind of thing. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would, what that would look like. Um, I, I, there's, dude, there's a lot of celebrities and it's like a, a common thing. But like I, I try to get, um, what's his name? Uh, shoot, Matthew McConaughey to, to come out right. to one of the events. And he was two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do a Zoom. That wasn't even in person. Bro, here's what you do: you just get them, just like you do, that. just like you do assets. You just get them when you're down. Like get Will Smith out to one of your events right now, mm-hmm. and let him rehabilitate yeah. his image. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's how you yeah. get them cheap. <laughs> I was we'll looking see. at, yeah, I was looking at, uh, um, uh, gosh, uh, Lance Armstrong. Like he was, yeah. he was like. I don't know, $15,000 to come out and speak or something. And yeah, so like there's, there's some of that that's out there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of fun to get like the celebrity endorsements and go and be like, it, it, here's what's wild. Like you can pay dollars and meet anybody that you want, right? Like we do it in mastermind groups to go and meet smart business people and learn from their network. Like, dude, you can just pay money and go and sit down with Warren Buffett for lunch. You can pay money and get one of these yeah. folks to come out and speak at one of your events. And um you know, dude, money can solve the problem. It's not really that big of a problem. So, hundred uh, percent drive drive revenue. So we're we're in. I'm glad you said that because that like leads leads me to one of the next points. When when I was watching the men who built America, uh, one of the thoughts that I had, I was like, man, imagine being able to pay uh, Vanderbilt to sit down and listen to him talk about how he became the richest person in the world, or Rockefeller, or any of these guys. And it struck me how much of a benefit it is for us to have access via money or masterminds or people like you, you know, my company is, is inside of your masterminds, the legacy wealth holdings. Uh, and we get to access your operator's brain. We get to talk to your CIO. We get to talk to you. What would you say to somebody who's wanting to get started in the world of investment, in the world of real estate, uh, is it, and they're like it's not that simple. Like it, I can't just join a mastermind or join this or that or or whatever. What would you say would be the path for them? Is it just to join a mastermind and start learning? Do they need to do a deal first? Read a book first? Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's different levels of meetups and different levels of groups. You got to plug into something. You got to get in the network. Like there's no there's no fast track. There's no you know easy road to building a business, like the only way to expedite success is by being in the right rooms though. Like that does like, think about this, Taylor, you, you've been an entrepreneur for a decade. You've had uh, all these other different like relationships that you've built with other different entrepreneurs and vendors and suppliers and um, dude, CPAs and uh, insurance agents and all. It's taken you a decade to go through all the bad ones in order to find the good ones. Right. And if I join your mastermind or vice versa, you join mine, same thing, right? It's taken me 15 years to develop the relationship and find the best of the best across the country and mortgage brokers and all these people. If you, if you join, you are able to take 15 years of going through bad relationships and find the best of the best just by paying $1,000 a month or whatever the mastermind right. costs. You know what I mean? Like, yep. what is that worth? It's worth unbelievable amounts of money. And we're in a business that you can easily quantify, oh, hey, I need to be able to justify a, a, you know, $12,000 a year or $20,000 a year in a, in a mastermind. How many deals need to come from that? Dude, you need to find a, a, a million dollar building and take a 2% acquisition fee and it more than covers it. Like, 
it's a joke to guys like in this industry, right? Um, it's a 10 unit apartment complex. If you can't find a hundred units in your first year, like once you've kind of uh, gotten in the right circles, but going back for somebody who's first getting started, dude, there's still real events like real estate investors association, pay $20 a meeting and go out to that one. You will find that the higher the dollar amount is the higher, I don't want to say like quality of individual or caliber of individual, but I would say higher business acumen for sure. Yeah. Right. And more well-connected that they are. Um, and, uh, and guess what? If somebody's stroking a check for 30 G's to be in a mastermind, they obviously have enough confidence in themselves to be able to be in that room and be able to get a return on their investment from it. Uh, they have a big enough business to be able to stroke a $30,000 check, right? Like, like it, it's not just for getting into the room, but it's also for keeping some of the, the, the naysayers and negativity and not developed enough mindsets out of the room as well. Like that's just as important. So um, like ours is a thousand bucks a month. I try to keep it and, and provide as much value as possible for that. But dude, you, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention, right? Like it needs to be something. Pay because you'll pay more attention and you'll go there with the mindset of, I need to get you know, a return on my investment here. I need to develop the right relationships or whatever. But like you could do that with a local meetup group. You could start your own meetup group, just invite a bunch of other entrepreneurs, start your own Facebook group and just start getting around like-minded people, sharing ideas and, um, and, and asking questions, asking good questions, right? Like even if um, you don't have the insights and stuff that you could share, start a podcast, do a Facebook live, interview your attorney, interview your CPA, interview uh, other entrepreneurs in the area, interview a marketing expert, interview uh, an insurance agent, interview an estate planning attorney. Like, dude, there's so many people that you can interview and bring value to an audience. And even though they're the ones bringing the value to your audience, you're the one getting all the credibility because you're the medium in which all that value was, was brought, right? Yep, so, yep. Just be that. And then all of a sudden, you hear enough conversations that I'll, a lot of uh, their words are coming out of your mouth. And now you can be the expert, you know? So it's, it's yeah, it's, just get started. It is. Take the action. The activity. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You're like, man, uh, this guy was good up until the point when he ended the interview and didn't ask me that question. <laughs> no, man. Uh, you asked a lot of really good questions. I really liked your questions a lot. I mean, I do a lot of podcasts, man, but you had some, um, uh, different types of questions, right? It's always about the same stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, like like, what is the, uh, you know, what is the next 24 months? What does the next 36 months look like? Uh, uh, you know, for me, I think you're always kind of graduating. Like, like you know, I started out at, in the trades and then I was an intern and then I got a real estate license and then I started wholesaling and then I started flipping and then I started... Um, you know, buying and holding single family rentals and then small multis. And then I got into like mid-sized apartment complex. And then I got into all this big commercial stuff um, that was like C-class. And now I'm liquidating all the, all the C-plus, B-minus stuff and, and moving into more B-plus, A-minus type properties. Yeah. So I'm really focused on that. Um, trimming the fat. But dude, I think over, over time, uh, you know, don't ever try to time a market. Uh, every... Every market, every year, there's obstacles and there's opportunity, right? Like, what are you focused on? And 10 years ago, when I was, you know, 15 years ago, when I first got started in real estate, um, the money was nowhere, but deals were everywhere, right? Like today, money's everywhere. Deals are a lot harder to come by. There's opportunities in both of those markets, right? Like, look for the opportunity. Don't focus on the obstacle. People who focus on the obstacle only see obstacles. You focus on opportunities. Get, get good at the revenue generating activities, you know, sourcing, if you're in real estate, sourcing deals, um, raising money and operations. And even if you're not in real estate, typically it's prospecting for whatever the hell your product is, raising money still and operations still. So you just get good at those things and, uh, and then work on putting yourself in the right network and uh, building out your team, and you're going to find yourself in a multiple seven-figure or eight-figure or nine-figure business if you just put your head down and work, right? Like, don't look left, don't look right. Uh, you're going to overestimate what you can accomplish in the next 12 months, but you will grossly underestimate what you can do in three to five years, right? A slight edge. Yeah. 
I love it. Best answer. Man, thanks for taking the time and hopping on the show. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I'm here Likewise, for it. Likewise, man. Dude, I appreciate you. appreciate the friendship and just excited for where you're going to be in the next three to five years, man. I love watching the journey of you know, good people. And, and I know you're one of the good guys. And just uh, can you imagine like we're, we're still young? Like, can you imagine what it's going to look like in five, 10 years from now? It's like, it's unfathomable. Yes. It's going to be life-changing. Yeah, Can't wait to see it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. All right, man, we'll chop it up. We'll get you, uh, we'll probably get you some micro content if you want to share it around and put it on yeah, social. Please so. do. Usually my people just, you know, um, we'll cut it up and chop it up. But if you guys have specific things you want me to share, shoot it over to me. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll kind of cross pollinate, try to get you some, some of my followers too and, Love it. Um, and support each other. Love it. When, uh, when are you going on acquisition mode again? Soon? Uh, we're, we're starting to look. Yeah, we're starting to look okay. right now. I have, I have cool. over $100 million of property that's under contract right now. So um, it's going to be coming down the pipeline. Investors are going to be making a lot of money on it, getting a lot of money back. I'm going to be having a big tranche of my own cash. So um, we're, starting to, we're starting to look. So yeah, man, if you come across cool. anything, I love Tennessee. I would do a ton of stuff in Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Panhandle of Florida, we're looking. Alabama, we're looking. Uh, so yeah, you come across anything. Are you in Raleigh yet? No, I got a lot of, a lot of good friends in Raleigh though, but I would, yeah. I would totally buy there. Cool. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll find some stuff. 100 units and bigger. A or B class kind of areas, value adds yeah. fine. Even if it's stabilized, that's fine. Um, we're, we're kind of pivoting where we don't need to buy the value add, you know, burr type deals anymore. Now we can just find something that we can sit on for the next five to 10 years, bump up rents yeah. naturally. And we have a lot of good things going on with uh, operations and just kind of like other ways to monetize tenants. That's not just rent and, you know, laundry income. Um, more on the data side of things and, um, and just kind of some creative strategies. So, uh, we can, we can cash flow properties in a different way that some other people can't. So have, yeah, have your, have your guys up. look, have your guys look into solar crypto to throw on top of your buildings. Okay. Solar yeah. crypto. Yeah. So like solar panels that just kind of sit at the top, you don't need, it's not like you don't need solar to sell the energy. You just need to run the crypto mining connected uh, to internet. And it's mining crypto. It's like, um, Gabe, do you remember what the what the coin, the blockchain is? There's, I'll go, Tim. I'll go find it and I'll send it to you. Yeah. Uh, but it. for for single family stuff, it's like five to six hundred bucks per tenant, mm. which is like, dude, you do that on a hundred unit, it's dude. I got four thousand. You know, yeah, it's like, crazy, dude. Can you imagine what that does? That I mean, and it yeah. goes almost. You know, to the bottom line. So you're like, dude, you're you're increasing your portfolio value by tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing is like, dude, syndicating with with crypto is going to be a big thing very soon, where um, you could syndicate it, and then your investors can be able to sell off their shares on you know as coins, uh, and somebody can come in for a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars, and uh, and dude, they don't they're not looking for 10, 12, 15 percent, you know, cash on cash returns. They're looking for six percent, four percent, three percent, five percent. You know, so yeah, um, I'm excited for where it's all going, man. We're we're looking at a lot of that stuff, just trying to figure out where's a lot of opportunities. Where's where's the best opportunity, right? What's the what's the greatest opportunity to look into? Cool. But, yeah, brother. Cool, well, man. I appreciate you, man. If you're ever in down in Charleston, hit me up. We'll do, buddy. See you, man. All right, bro. See ya. Bye.